Glad you're here. My name's Josh, by the way. I haven't been up here in a little while. I lead the church, and I'm honored to be a part uh, of, of, of this weekend with you. I want to welcome all of you to Seacoast. I want to welcome everybody who's at our campuses as well. Uh, your campus pastors will give you direction on how to make that step to get connected into a group. But speaking of campuses, I want to give a shout out to our McClellanville campus. You know, it was several years ago, McClellanville Baptist Church, a small church in McClellanville. There were about 12 people that were coming. They approached us and said, man, we want to reach people. We love what y'all are doing. Could we kind of talk about doing something together? And so we began to have conversations. And man, several years later, it's amazing, reaching over 100 people every weekend. Last weekend, they baptized 10 people at the McClellanville campus. And so just uh, grateful for you guys. Pastor Ned Smith uh, is doing a phenomenal job out there, bivocational, got his business that he started, but he's also running the church and doing a great job. Hey, I want to mention one more thing before we get into our new message series, and that is, um, you know, it's been a crazy summer, a lot of great things. Uh, by the way, we had over 800 students and, and kids give their life to Jesus over this summer, which is just really, really cool. But we've also had a team working behind the scenes on our app. And we've talked to you about the app a couple of times over the last couple of weeks. I want to give you the why. You know, we've been talking a lot and looking around at other churches. And, uh, you know, the challenge of being a larger church is that it can be really hard, you know, for the pastor to know everybody, although I would argue at about 50 is when it gets hard for that. But, but how, how could we, is it possible that we could have a large church, but that there's a customized experience through the app that's helping everybody take the next step that they need to take. And here's what I know about you. Everybody in here, myself included, we need to be taking next steps. If we aren't moving, then we're not improving. In your marriage, if you're not working to get better, you're probably stagnant. You're probably going the wrong direction. We all need to take steps. But the people that are sitting on the row with you, those steps may look drastically different based on where you are in life and what you're going through. And so, so one of the things the app team has been working on is how can we be directive for people and taking spiritual steps that are going to help them grow. We know that an app isn't going to disciple anybody, but it can be a resource that helps you. And so I want to show it to you real quick. Uh, I've got it here on my screen. By the way, the icon on the bottom left, that's our translation app. Every weekend, our messages get translated into four or five different languages every single weekend. And so they do that through that app. But when you open up our app, the Seacoast app, on the bottom right is message notes. Uh, by the way, if you come to church and you're expecting God to speak to you, I'd encourage you to have some way to write that down, whether that's on an app or on your phone or, or paper and pen, but you can do that. But then if I click my dashboard here, what it does is it's going to open up a dashboard that's, that's customized to me. Uh, it says, hello, Pastor Josh. Uh, and then there are these icons. You'll notice all of these icons underneath are grayed out. But as you take steps in the church, whether that's baptism or small group or getting part of the dream team, those icons are going to light up. And I'm a competitive person, so maybe that's part of why we're doing it that way. I want to get a, In fact, this isn't my real page. Mine's all, already lit up, but I don't want to discourage you guys by showing you that. But, <clears throat> but you'll notice like that first one is uh, the, the, the drop is baptism. And, and it's going to give you resources about baptism. If you click on that, learn more, it's going to take you to to your campus page is next baptism and help you take that step. Uh, the, the small groups one is that third one. It's gonna give you a list of every small group in your area that you can connect to. And it's gonna just make it real easy for you to take a next step. And so as you scroll through the feed, you'll notice that all of the, the articles and the resources that it will send you are gonna be tailored to where you are and where you need to go spiritually. So download the app, let it be another resource that'll help you grow 
in your faith. So we're starting a new series this week called Reactions. Reactions. Can you think of the last time you saw somebody overreact to something? I love a good overreaction. That's why I go to Walmart sometimes, just to see, see the overreactions get played out. This week, I was working out at the gym, and, and we were on a run, and we were running through a parking lot, and it was a couple of guys that were with me, and I was the first one to get to this intersection where there was a car coming, and, and I, so I stopped. I made eye contact with the driver of the car. I slowed down because I'm always looking for a reason to stop when I'm running, and um, well, the people behind me didn't make that eye contact. So they kept going and the car kept going. And so it was like this moment where they, you know, awkwardly the car stopped, they stopped and it was like, okay, no big deal. Well, then the guy in the car rolled his window down and started using some of those, those driving words that Adam Martin talked about a couple of weeks ago. And it was like, whoa, that escalated quickly, right? I mean, that, 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 that was an overreaction. Something happened, but then the reaction didn't match the action, overreaction. It's, it's fun. I mean, as parents, uh, we've all been guilty of the overreaction from time to time. Some of you grew up in a home where there was constant overreaction from a, a dad or a mom, and you know kind of what that did to you. I think the best overreactions are, are in sports. Uh, I, I brought a couple of pictures for us today. The tennis overreaction, that's classic. I mean, you know that racket didn't deserve what happened to it, right? Uh, baseball managers, they are great at overreactions. That's Lou Pinella back when he was with the Cubs and they get up in the face of the umpire and throw their hat and it's, it's entertaining. And then here's this last one uh, was the malice at the palace. Some of you guys remember this, uh, Ron Artest, a fan did something stupid. That was bad. But then the reaction, he runs up in and it creates this massive brawl and, and then he moves to California and changes his name to World Peace. I don't know how that all worked out, but, <clears throat> but it's a reaction, right? These reactions and they get our attention. And we love watching other people overreact, but if we're being honest, we've all fallen victim to the overreaction from time to time, haven't we? Where we, we've, something has come out of us. We've responded in a certain way that didn't really match or, or wasn't warranted based on what happened. You know, maybe the last thing that you had to apologize for was just an overreaction. You know, some of us, maybe you've actually even lost a job or you've, you've, you've reacted in anger and it cost you your employment at a certain place, but, but we've all, to some degree or another, overreacted. Well, you know, today we're starting this message series of conversations that we're calling Reactions. And most of us are quick to write off our reactions as, well, I didn't mean that. You know, that was just kind of, it just happens every now and then I'll outburst. But what if we really paid attention to our reactions? What if they had more of a story to tell than maybe we give them credit for? So what, what I began doing this summer is reading through the Gospels and looking for different moments where Jesus actually instructed believers about their reactions. And it blew my mind because I don't know about you, but I haven't sat through any message series where, man, we're going to get deep into discipleship today and talk about reactions. But actually Jesus talks about them a lot. And so we're going to, we're going to do that. We're going to learn that it's possible to harness our reactions, even for good. That what sometimes can be an overreaction and can be something that, that, that escalates a situation that, that Jesus gives us this instructions to say, Hey, I want you to actually use your reactions to catch people off guard and to to bring about a greater good. And so let's look at one of the more famous 
passage of the scripture that Jesus talks about reactions. And as we read it together, I want you to just notice how much of his instruction is related to our reactions. This is from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, verse 38 through 42. He says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Where, where have they heard that it was said that? Well, that was in the law, but you've all heard the same thing. We all have. That's kind of how culture works. Like if you do something, you should expect to get repaid and, and at the level of what you did. That's just kind of how life works. It's how it works in most of our workplaces. That's, that's normal. That's culture. He says, but, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Let, let's stop here for a minute and, and dig into this because I've always misunderstood this passage. I've thought this meant that if somebody bows up and fights you, that you can't react in self-defense, you need to turn the other cheek. That's actually not what he's saying at all. Uh, you've heard the phrase, turn the other cheek. Obviously, it comes from Jesus's words here. And he says, if, if somebody hits you on your right cheek. Now, I, by show of hands here today, how many of you are right-handed? Just raise your hand here and at the campuses. Look around. The majority of people are right-handed. I'm right-handed. Some of you are, are left-handed, and that's okay. My dad was left-handed. But, but if a, if, if a right-handed person throws a punch at you, which cheek are they hitting you with? Your left, your left cheek. An act of violence would be a, a right hand hitting you in your left cheek. And, and there's no place where the Bible says you can't actually like defend yourself or, or hold somebody off. But what he's saying is if somebody hits you on your right cheek, the first century listeners of Jesus would have known immediately what he was talking about. If, if you're to hit somebody on their right cheek, that's a backhanded slap. And it's a show of disrespect especially in first century Israel. It still would be today, but it's, it's a sign. Of, it's not picking a fight. It's, it's saying, hey, I disrespect you. It's, 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 it's equivalent to if somebody were to spit at you or what happens often on social media, somebody were to just blatantly disrespect you and disregard you on, on social media or in, in your workplace or whatever that might be. And Jesus is saying, hey, when that happens, why don't you show them your other, other cheek too? I, I want you to pay attention to how you react when somebody disrespects you is what he's saying. And by showing them the other cheek, you basically have just shown them, hey, you, you can't affect me in that way. Like I'm actually operating on a, a different level here. I'm, 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 I'm reporting to somebody different. I know where I get my respect and sense of self-worth and self-respect from. Just turn the other cheek. Let's, let's keep reading. He says, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Again, totally different justice system than what we have today. But, but here's what you need to know about first century Israel is that in any lawsuit, there was one article of clothing that was untouchable that you could never be forced to give away. And that is your outer coat. That was sacred. They allowed them to hang on. There were religious reasons for that. There were cultural. It was a, a warmth thing, but you couldn't be sued for your outer coat. And Jesus says, hey, if somebody sues you and wants your inner garments, go ahead and give them your coat as well. And I, I want to pay attention. I want you to react differently. Then he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile with them, go with them two miles instead. We've talked about this before here at Seacoast, but that was basically a, a legal act of compulsory service that people had. If you were a Jew, if there was somebody who was 
uh, in power over you. It could have been somebody who is in power in the, in, the, in the priesthood or at the temple. It could be a Roman soldier. By law, no matter what you were doing or where you were going to or whether you were on time or late, if they stopped you and asked you to carry something for them, by law, you were required to carry it a maximum of 1,000 steps. They say a mile, that's how they translate it. It's 1,000 steps. And, and, and it would be very normal, right? Think about how people would typically react when that happened. It's never a good time to be forced to do something that you don't want to do for 100 steps. Very normal to do it with grumbling, to complain, to count every step, and at the very last step, drop the stuff and go, have it. But Jesus says, hey, why don't you do 2,000 steps? Why don't you go two miles? And can you imagine what happens in that second mile? As you're communicating, whether verbally or not, hey, you're maybe in a, a position of authority over me here, but I'm actually responsible and reporting to a higher authority. And, and you're showing them something powerful with your reactions. And then he says, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Again, another example. You know, we do serve day here at Seacoast, and it's one thing to, to plan and prepare and wake up and put on the T-shirt and go, I'm gonna go serve people in different ways. It's a whole nother thing when you got stuff to do and somebody stops you and asks you for, for help. And Jesus is saying, hey, actions are good. Actions speak, but reactions, they speak louder. Reactions actually show what's going on inside of you. See, it's easier for us to act like Christians than to react like Christians. It's easier for me to act like a Christian than to react like one. And I read these verses and I'm like, Jesus, this is unrealistic. <laughs> like this just feels like Green Beret Christianity. Like this is for the, but it, it's not. This is, he, he's given this instruction for all of us. Saying, hey, I want you to, I want you to react differently. And so what, what I want to do today is we're going to just lay down a foundation. Why are reactions important? Why would Jesus have talked about it? And there's a whole lot more, and we'll get into it during the series that Jesus says to us. But why would he have wanted us to pay attention so much to our reactions and not just our actions? The, the first thing for us that I noticed about reactions is that reactions reveal what's on the inside. Reactions reveal. Most of us, when we think about our reactions, we're quick to kind of dismiss them. Well, that wasn't really what I meant. It kind of just, I, I didn't mean to say that, but, but the reality is that our reactions reveal a lot about what's going on inside of us. You have different triggers, don't you? We all have triggers, like based on what we've gone through, and, and, and the reactions tell a much greater story. You know, I've got this bottle of club soda. Uh, it's water, but it's water with some other stuff mixed in it, right? And, and, and what, what happens with this water when I shake it up uh, real good? Anybody want to volunteer to open this thing for me? What happens, now if this was flat water, this was just pure water, I could shake it up as much as I wanted to, open it up, drink it, no problem. But because it's not, when I open this thing up, what's going to happen is it's going to kind of, it's going to fly everywhere, right? Because what's inside of here has no choice but to come out when it's shaken. And we're a lot like this. You know, even as Christ followers, we have the living water of Christ inside of us, but, but there's other stuff mixed in there too, right? You've had stuff that's happened to you. 
in your life and you've had different traumas that you've gone through and maybe you know st- stuff that's been said to you or about you and and when you shake it up when you get triggered by something when you come into a moment that reaction's got to come out and so rather than just dismissing it as well I didn't mean to say that that's not really me what if we actually took the time to ask a question about it what 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 is my reaction revealing about me you know jesus said that a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart what you say flows from what is in your heart i've got a golfing friend that will tell me sometimes when he'll talk trash to me he'll say i'm sorry the devil sometimes puts on my lips what wasn't in my heart <laughs> The reality is that's usually not true. Usually what came out of your mouth was something that was in your heart. And in his case, he's usually right. I am that bad of a golfer that I deserve to be talked to that way. <laughs> Several years ago, Lisa and I were eating uh, dinner at a restaurant on a date night and we were sitting at a table right by the door of the exit. And there was a young family that was eating in there and they were getting up to leave and the dad left with an older kid to go get the car. The the mom went to go pay the bill with like a four or five-year-old kid that was with her. And while she was paying the bill, this kid decided, I'm gonna go find my dad. And he runs out right by our table, runs out the door, runs right into the parking lot. And as he crosses into the parking lot, there was a truck that was going super fast in the parking lot and hit him. And he fell probably 20 feet in the air, falls on the ground, lifeless, motionless, unconscious. And we watched the whole thing happen. And Lisa, my wife, jumps up sprints out to the parking lot, gets down and starts to to give care and attention to this kid. And you know what I did? I froze. I I couldn't move. I couldn't even pick up my phone to call nine. I'm just sitting there and and something, my heart started racing and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't move. And, And so we were driving home that night and the kid ended up being okay. He was hurt, but he was, he was okay. I know I need to tell you that. Otherwise you'll be asking that question all night. But, but I, I started to, to go, huh, why did I react that way? Like, that just seems weird. And, and so I started to kind of process it with Lisa and process it some with my small group. And what I realized is that was a pretty extreme example of something that was actually happening a whole lot more often, which is that when there would be moments of conflict, I would, my fight or flight would, would jump in and my response was to, fl- to, to flee, to run to avoid the conflict, whether it was a smaller thing in my marriage or even stuff at work and decisions that we needed to make and conflicts that would happen. And I found myself realizing, wow, I do this a lot more often than I think. And so I started to talk to some, some people at Chip Judd and others in the church about what was going on. And what I realized is that it was all related to something that happened when I was eight years old. <laughs> See, when I was eight years old, our family moved to Charleston and we moved with a dream to plant Seacoast Church, and two weeks after we moved here, our family got into a horrific car accident on I-26. We were rear-ended by a Mack truck that was going 55 miles an hour, lost his brakes, and slammed into the back of our car. And, and it was a terrible time. My brother was in a coma for a week. My sister had to be resuscitated right there on the highway, and, and thankfully, I wasn't hurt. And That's always been a, something I've thanked God for. Like I wasn't hurt, but what that did mean is that I remember everything about that moment. I remember the jaws of life being used to try to open up our our van to get us out. I remember my siblings laying on the the concrete highway being tended to by by 
emergency personnel. I remember the glass and the blood and the, just the, the EMS, everything. And over the next couple of months, obviously, my parents were tending to the, the kids that were hurt and trying to juggle being in this new city. But, but often I would be with babysitters and I kind of got this idea. By the way, they did a phenomenal job handling all of that. But I, I realized that every time they would leave the house, I would tell myself a story that wasn't true. This is going to be the one that kills them. This is going to be the one. And I found myself with this fear. And then later on in life, because I'd never really talked to anybody about it, it's starting to play out in different ways. And here's what I learned. Here's what I learned about these moments where I was responding to conflict poorly. Is eight-year-old Josh was getting back in the driver's seat of the bus. Eight-year-old Josh was like, hey, I'm, I'm going to take charge now because I'm afraid, I'm concerned, and I'm going to take charge. And I'm going to do what eight-year-olds do. And, 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 and eight-year-old Josh would be leading the conversation with my wife about the conflict that we were having. Eight-year-old Josh would be showing up in meetings at work, and it was like, wow, eight-year-old Josh doesn't belong. He's part of my story. That's, that's a trauma that I went through. That's in the mix. There's no way of changing that. But eight-year-old Josh needs to be reminded that, hey, what you went through was real, and it happened, but you're not in charge. You're not driving, and it's going to be okay. God's going to take care of this. And through some processing, I've learned, man, my reactions were revealing quite a bit about what was going on inside of me. And my hunch is that some of us can relate to that, that, that you consistently maybe react in anger or by trying to take control of a situation, and, and maybe that's connected to some stuff that you've never really processed or dealt with. Maybe there's some unhealed things going on in our life that cause us to respond in fear or anger or control or whatever that might be for you. So, so don't worry, we're going to dig deeper into this through the series. But, but today, what I want to ask you is, what are your reactions revealing to you about yourself? What are your reactions trying to tell you? There's probably more to the story. It's probably not that just, well, sometimes I do this or that. Probably if we'll give ourselves permission to look into that, there's some stuff there that, that could be really helpful to you and your healing process. So reactions reveal. Second thing I know about reactions is that reactions have a ripple effect. Reactions definitely have a ripple effect. Have you ever had a conversation escalate? Like you started dealing with one issue and then all of a sudden it's like, wow, we've, we, that, that, that happened quickly. Like that escalated quickly. There have been times in our marriage where just one simple statement, you know, hey, you, you know, sometimes you act like your mom in that. <laughs> By the way, free advice, that is not a neutral statement. Uh, that is never a neutral statement. Or, you know, your dad does that. You know, like all of a sudden you say something and boom, reaction, reaction, reaction. And it escalates. It ripple effects. And, and, and the reality is scripture tells us that we can actually turn that on its head and, and, and cause a certain situation to, to escalate or de-escalate in a way that's powerful. Look at what it says in, in Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. We know that harsh words make tempers flare. Some of you have lost a job because what started as a one-on-one -on -one conversation, all of a sudden something was said, something was responded to, boom, boom, wow. <laughs> I'm looking for a new place of employment. But did you know that a gentle answer can actually have a ripple effect in the other direction? I've learned this so much in my parenting. You know, I know and you know that we're never in a weaker position with our kids than when we're screaming at them. But most of us have been there at some point or another where we, you know, we just allowed it to escalate. But man, a gentle answer, like responding to 
uh, emotion but in, in a way that's not matching that emotion actually has a way of, oh, it de-escalates. It calms things down. And in our home, I've been realizing that it's easy for us to, to have empathy or to speak life or to respond gently when maybe somebody's struggling or hurting or going through a hard time. But especially with siblings who are competitive, it's a lot harder when they're actually winning and succeeding. Uh, we were uh, hanging out with some friends a couple months ago, and they were, they were golfing on a simulator. And these kids were 16 to 22. And it blew my mind because they would hit really good shots. And then the other siblings would go, hey, great job, man. That was awesome. It's like, that's not really how we do it in our home. Like, you hit a good shot. That's all right. Give me that club. Let me show you how to really, you know. And we tend to be competitive. But, but, but it began to ask the question, what would it look like if we actually started teaching our kids to celebrate each other's successes? Because you know what's going to happen when they grow up? Is one of them is going to end up making more money than another one. One of them is going to get promoted. And I want to create a culture of celebration where we actually go, hey, I want to ripple out some reactions that are unexpected. It's not expected to celebrate, you know, a sibling or somebody that you compete with promotion or success. But man, what if we as believers allowed the ripple effect of our reactions to, to bring life into situations? What's the ripple effect? The most common ripple effect of your reaction? Is it bringing life or is it, is it escalating situations? Reactions reveal. Reactions have a ripple effect. And then the last thought for us, which is really where Jesus was going in his passage, is that reactions are an opportunity to stand out. Reactions are an opportunity to stand out. Jesus constantly viewed being treated unjustly, unfairly, and unkindly as an opportunity. It's like, man, that is where it's so hard. It's like, look for the opportunity. When, when somebody says something or gossips about you, or you know, what if you saw that as an opportunity? An opportunity to react in such a way that people are caught off guard because they recognize that cause did not warrant that effect. When we start reacting differently than what people expect, it's prime opportunity for them to ask the question, why? Like, why would you have done that? Why would you have responded in that way? You, you got that diagnosis and you, you're at peace? Like, you, you lost your job and yet you're, you're not freaking out? You're, you, you have confidence? Like, what, what's going on there? It's an opportunity. See, Jesus didn't just teach this stuff. He lived it. He lived it. In fact, one of the most powerful examples of him talking about reactions was in his moment of greatest pain. It was after his, one of his disciples had betrayed him and he had been handed over to the religious authorities who were corruptly trying to accuse him falsely of stuff that he didn't do. And he's standing trial after already having received beatings that are unimaginable for what he's done. And, and this, this person in authority looks him in the eye and says, are you a king? They call you the king of the Jews. Are you a king? And look what Jesus said to him in John chapter 18, verse 36. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. It says, you know, the expected reaction right now with you treating me the way that you're treating me is these guys would all be fighting, and we know Peter kind of 
took a misstep in that way and Jesus corrected him. But he says, man, you want evidence that my kingdom, that I'm building something different? Look at how my followers are reacting to what you're doing to me. You're instigating, provoking, and, 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 and trying to bring about a reaction, and they're not. And we know that in Jesus's day, they, everybody who was a, a, a Jew in first century Israel, they were longing and crying out for redemption. They were under Roman occupation. They were being treated unfairly. Everybody wanted redemption. There were some among them that thought the way to redemption was just revolt and overthrow the government. And if you want to know how that went, study 70, 72 AD in Israel, and it didn't go very well for those that did it. But Jesus said, hey, I'm, I'm actually about redemption, but it's going to come about a different way. It's going to come about through repentance of our sin, that when, some, when I make a mistake, I'm not going to make excuses for it. I'm going to repent of it. And I'm going to humble myself before God so that he may raise me up. I'm going to respond and react differently. And this movement, this kingdom that Jesus established has long outlasted the, the issues that they were fighting about in that day. For generation after generation after generation, believers in Christ have been carrying out this kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And it's probably never been more on display and powerful in my life as it was in June of 2015. You guys remember what happened in June here in 2015. Young guy named Dylan Roof with a whole lot of hatred in his heart had visions of starting a race war, walked into a church in downtown Charleston, sat through a Bible study, and then ruthlessly murdered nine African-American people in this church. And he said in his manifesto, what he wanted to do was create a race war. And guess what? That's what probably should have happened. That would have been the expected reaction, except for the people that he instigated, the people that he hurt, the people that he damaged, when they were shaken, when, when, when they were at this moment of, of great shaking, two days later, they had an opportunity to face him down in court. And the judge asked if any of the victim's families wanted to speak in that moment. And Reverend Anthony Thompson, who I've known for over 20 years, we've talked about this a lot. But he said, everything in me, he said, I told my kids, I, I swore I was not going to speak because I was afraid of what might come out of my mouth if I did. But he said, when that judge asked that question, he felt like the Holy Spirit told him, get up, get up. And he did. And he got up and he, he faced this killer. And he said, you've taken away everything important to me, shaken me big time. But I want you to know I forgive you and my family forgives you. And it set off a response, a reaction that was unlike any other city who had dealt with similar issues. There were no riots. There, were no, there was a sense of unity. And it all comes down to what came out of some believers in a moment of their worst pain. And even Anthony Thompson said this later in an interview. He said, uh, he said, we had people from other cities, other states coming here to actually start a riot. They were just waiting for us to give the okay. We told them to go back to where they came from. That's why nothing happened. The fact that we forgave, the community was united. People from all walks of life and race and creed united. That tragedy started something very new in Charleston. How powerful is that? 
that what went viral after that was the unity and the, the peace and the, the coming together of a community. Why? Because some Christians had read the words of Jesus and what came out of them in a reaction that any one of us would have fully justified anything that they would have said, what came out of them was Jesus, Jesus. And it was so challenging for me in those moments watching that happen because I had to ask the question, what would have come out of me? And I'm not sure how I would have responded. But then as a pastor here at Seacoast to go, man, how will, how will we respond when we're shaken? I pray that we never walk through anything like that, right? But we're gonna be shaken. We're gonna have stuff happen. We're gonna have people disrespect us. We're gonna have people talk about us. What's gonna come out of us in those moments? And my prayer and the journey we're gonna take in this series is that we would do some, some work to look inward, but to get to a place where we can go, you know what? Those words of Jesus, that's not just for the Green Berets. That's not just for the special forces. If you call yourself a Christian, it's the standard that he set for us. And we can walk in that. And when we do, the world is gonna notice. I expect that over the next year, year and a half, there'll be plenty of division in our country. There'll be plenty of triggers that are gonna happen. And man, my prayer for us is that we would learn to walk as followers of Christ where we don't budge on the truth. We don't budge on the gospel. We, 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 but we also don't react to anger with anger. And we don't react to instigation with instigation, but we learn how to hold that ground of standing for the truth of God's word, but doing it in a way that people go, huh, they're different. There's something different going on with them. Would you pray with me? Father, if I'm being honest, this feels really hard. This feels almost impossible, Jesus, to take the words that you've given us and the instructions, the teachings that you've given us and to live them out. And so maybe, God, that's a good place to start is for us to acknowledge that we fall so short of this time and time again. But God, rather than make excuses, help us to be people who repent and people who look inward to what's going on and learn how to respond to people in a way that would honor you, that would bless you, and that would cause more people to know who you are. Jesus, we thank you that you didn't just teach this, but you lived it, that you looked at your accusers and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Would you help us to respond in similar ways to the little things and the big things that we walk through in this life? We give it to you in Jesus' name, amen, amen.